All right, good morning, everyone. It's good. Give me a moment. All right. Today is one of those days where things are not turning up, Tim. I woke up with a cold yesterday, so you'll have to excuse my snorting and sniffling. Uh, I apologise in advance, especially if you're listening to this online later. That'll be weird. All right. So... When we know what's going to happen in the future, it affects what we do now, yeah? So, like, if you're going to work tomorrow or you're going to uni tomorrow, you don't stay up all night doing whatever, probably watching YouTube. Or if it's going to rain later, you grab that umbrella on your way out, yeah? Because you know what's going to happen, so you prepare for it now. You get what I'm saying? And I think this this idea also works for our whole entire life. If we know what's going to happen to us after we die, then we're going to live in light of that reality, yeah? We're going to live differently. Like, if you believe in karma and reincarnation, you're going to spend your life doing as much good and as little evil as possible so that you can have the best reincarnation life as possible, yeah? If you believe you're going to be reincarnated specifically as, say, a chicken, then you're going to spend your whole life fighting for chicken rights and, you know, letting chickens play free in the field so that your next life will be lovely and playing in a field. And it's the same if you think that nothing comes after this life. If you think you live and you die and that's it, then you're going to spend your whole life enjoying this life as much as possible, putting all your meaning into this life. The only problem is most of us, many of us, We're not confident we know what happens after this life. See, half the time we can't even get the weather right, so what gives us any confidence that we know what will happen after we die? What confidence do you have for what happens after this life? That's not going to work. All right. You can chuck on the next slide so everyone sees what's going on. Today, as we look at John chapter 5, I want to show you that We can actually have confidence, we can know, and not just confidence of knowing what comes after, but also we'll know what are the different options and how we can avoid the bad one and head to the good one, whatever that might look like. So as we work this out together, I hope that you see this picture of Jesus that John writes about in John chapter 5. Jesus is shown to be far bigger than we could ever imagine. God is shown to be far more wonderful and complex than we could ever imagine. We see that Jesus is God and Jesus is the Son of the Father. So how about I pray for us as we look at this together. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for your word to us in John chapter 5. Thank you that you have revealed to us who you are through your Son. Please, Father, now give us sharp minds, attentive ears, help us to be critical, to hear the words I'm saying and look to see if it matches up with the Bible. Father, may you, by your Spirit, shape us, change us, make us new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can just kill that slide and make it blank. Now, we're going to mostly be looking at the second half of our reading, John 16 to 30. So how about I just quickly race through the first half and I'll draw out some key important little bits for us to remember. So John chapter 5 begins with 
Jesus in Jerusalem. He's next to this pool. Wow, that was a quick fix. (laughs) Thanks, Pete. I'm glad you're here. Jesus is at this pool, and surrounding this pool were all these sick people, many of them paralyzed, probably some lepers, uh, people who were unwell. And there was one particular guy who was paralyzed, was an invalid, for 38 years. 38 years of his life, he'd come to that pool and he'd done what everyone else had done there. And that was, from time to time, the water would stir up and the people thought that an angel from heaven came down and stirred up the water. And they thought if they could get to the pool first before anyone else, when that angel arrived, they would be healed. So he's there waiting for his opportunity. And Jesus, he goes up to this guy and he says something kind of strange. He says, do you want to get well? Well, yes, of course he does. What kind of question is that? He's been sitting there for 38 years hoping to be well. And then Jesus, through some words, not through medicine, not through science, through words, he heals this man. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. This paralyzed man does exactly what Jesus says. Paralyzed for 38 years and he walks. What a miracle, astounding, unheard of. Now, a little while later, Jesus finds this guy in the temple. We don't know how much later, but some time has passed. And Jesus says to him another strange thing. He says, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. And I bet this guy's thinking in his head, I've just been paralyzed for 38 years of my life. What could possibly be worse than that? But this guy, the thought leaves his head pretty quick, he doesn't really listen because what Jesus had done, he healed this man on a Sabbath day and the law on the Sabbath day was that you're not to do any work, not even healing. And the Jewish leaders, they were harassing this guy saying, tell us, who healed you? Who healed you? And this guy, he throws Jesus under the bus, he tells the Jewish leaders it was Jesus who healed him and that's where verse 16 picks up. The Jewish leaders confront Jesus And they ask him why he's done what he's done on the Sabbath. And as this conversation progresses, we learn that Jesus is equal with God and he's dependent upon God. And that is our first heading in those handouts, if you have one in front of you, like father, like son. Come with me and have a look at verse 16 uh, and let's check this out together. So... Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So here Jesus is calling God his own father. That's not entirely unheard of. Jesus had done it before. In fact, Israel might call God their father. They might say, God is our father. Jesus calls God his own father. And and he says that his father is at work. And that's something the Jews probably would have agreed with. God is at work. Back in Genesis 2, at the very end of the creation story, on the seventh day, God rests. And that seventh day of God's rest, the Bible doesn't say it's actually ended. It it continues up till Jesus' time. God is still resting. But even though God is resting, He's not stopped working. We can tell because the universe still runs. We still orbit the sun. Our lungs still draw air into our 
Our mouths draw air into our lungs. The universe hasn't fallen to bits, which means God is holding it all together. That means God is working. God still works even on the Sabbath. So God can break that Sabbath law because He's God. He made law for man, they have to follow the law, but that law isn't for Himself, He's God. And so when Jesus says, my Father is at work to this very day and I too am working, He's saying, well, God can work because He is God and I can work because I am God. Jesus says He does what God does because He is God. Now, when the Jews hear this, they realise what Jesus is saying. They realise that Jesus is saying, I am God. And they think to themselves, wait a minute, there's only one God. They think that Jesus is claiming to be some other God, some different God, a God opposed to their God. And so that is why they're trying to kill Him. But Jesus never claims to be another God. He never claims to be something different from the God the Jews know. In fact, He claims to be the same God, but He says that that God you know is far bigger than you could ever imagine. Look with me at verses 19 and 20. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, and He will show Him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Here, Jesus is painting a picture of a Father who apprentices His Son. Throughout lots of human history, this was a common practice. Fathers would take their sons and show them the family business. And so, if your dad was a baker, you would learn bakery and you'd become a baker. If your dad was a blacksmith, you'd learn blacksmithing and you'd become a blacksmith. And just like this, God the Father apprentices God the Son in the family work. So, God, He takes Jesus... The Father takes the Son and shows Him His work. He shows Him what He's doing. And the Son can only do what the Father has shown Him He does. See, Jesus is not some other God. Jesus is the Son. The Son and the Father, they're totally equal. They're together. But Jesus has the role of Son and the Father has role of Father. Jesus does the work of the Father. So, if the Father works on the Sabbath... Jesus works on the Sabbath, like Father, like Son. Now, what kind of work is it that the Father gives the Son to do? That's the next question. What work does the Father give the Son to do? And this is coming under our second heading in your handouts, if you're following along, the life of the Son. The life of the Son. Jesus is given the power of life and He's given the power of judgment. He has the work of life and the work of judgment. Come with me to those next couple of verses. Uh, Verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom is pleased to give it. Here we see the Son's work. He gives life and He also gives judgment. Look at the next verse. Moreover, the Father judges no one but but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So, the other work He has is judgment, two works, life and judgment. Jesus gives life like the Father does because 
He has life in Himself. Look at verse 26. I've lost verse... There's verse 26. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. The reason the Son has life to give as He pleases is because He has life in Himself. What does that mean? Well, God has life in Himself... He doesn't need anything else to live. He doesn't need something to keep him alive. He is life. And it's the same for Jesus. Jesus has life in himself. And so his work is to give out that life as he pleases. And so this is why Jesus says to that paralyzed man, do you want to get well? Jesus is saying, do you want your life restored? Do you want your life back? because I can do that, I have life to give. Jesus restores the man's life. Jesus' first work is life. Jesus has another work which I mentioned, it's to judge. Jesus is the judge of all people. In verse 22, we saw that God delegates the work of judgment to the Son. I'll read it again. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. God has given Jesus this work to do. And so when Jesus sees the man later and says, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you, he says it because he is the judge. He is the one who will judge him. If that man continues to sin, it's not 38 years of paralysis he has to look forward to, it's condemnation by God. Jesus does what the Father has instructed him. Jesus is no less than the Father, they're equal, but He is the Son to the Father. And the Father gives Jesus this work for a reason. He gives it for a very special and specific reason, which we see in verse 23. Uh, Read it with me. Uh, God gives this work to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent Him. The Father has given the Son these works to do. God has given Jesus these works to do so that everyone would honour the Son the way they honour the Father. So that they would honour Jesus as God. The response of that healed man and the response of the Jewish leaders, that was the wrong response. They did not honour Jesus as the Son of God. They tried to kill Him. I don't know if you can get a more wrong response. Now, at this point, John is asking us a question as well. Do you honour the Son? Do you honour Jesus as God? If I asked one of your co-workers, or someone who sits next to you at uni, or your favourite barista or someone, as a Christian, do you think so-and-so honours Jesus? What do you think they'd say? Would they say, oh, I didn't even realise they were a Christian? I've never heard them speak about Jesus, let alone honour Him. What would they say about how you act? That guy doesn't really act like I thought a Christian would act. Or would they say, you know what, I don't get this whole Jesus thing, but I sure know they love Jesus. And I know that Jesus is the most important person in their life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that's what people said about us? Wouldn't it show just how much we honour the Son if other people noticed? Jesus is the judge and He gives life. He's the Son of God and so let's honour Him 
as the Son. Now we're going to move into our last point for today. And there's one other work that God the Father has given the Son. And so that is your last heading, Resurrection Now. We see that Jesus is the one who raises the dead. Jesus raised the paralyzed man and he will raise the dead. Come with me to verse 28. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. And they will come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. There will be a time when Jesus' voice goes out over all the earth, over the whole earth, and every single person who has ever lived will rise from their grave. Imagine that, every single person. The wealthy will rise with those poverty-stricken for life. The person who died yesterday will rise with the person who died 3,000 years ago, who died when Abraham was alive. The worst criminal will rise with the most saintly saint. Every single person will rise from the grave at the sound of Jesus' voice. That's one powerful voice. And when Jesus raises the dead, that's when he does his work of judging. And he judges according to how you've lived your life. He sends you to one of two destinations... We saw it in the verse, those who have done what is good will rise to live. That is, Jesus will give them life. His first work of giving life is to those who have done good. And it's eternal life forever. The other destination, those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Their judgment is condemnation. Now, doing what is good and doing what is evil, it's not about being nice to people and not being mean and, you know, I haven't murdered anyone so I'm pretty good. That's not what Jesus is talking about. They're not the good and the evil he's talking about. Instead, the good is something that Jesus has already spoken about in this conversation. Verse 23 says, we've got to honour the Son, we've got to honour Jesus as God. And so the good that Jesus is talking about is, have we honoured the Son? Have we honoured Jesus? And what does that look like? Well, verse 23 says we should honour the Son. Verse 24 shows us what that might look like. Look at verse 24 with me. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Those who believe have life. Those who honour the Son have life. You see how they're the same thing? Honouring the Son is to believe in the Son. To believe Jesus is the Son of God. To believe Jesus is equal with God. To not believe is to dishonour Him. And that is what leads to condemnation. So knowing this means that we can actually be confident about what happens after we die. It's not reincarnation. It's not nothing at all. Jesus will raise every single person from the dead. And then after he's raised them, he will judge them according to whether they honoured him or not. Knowing this should change how we live, right? If you have a choice of life or condemnation, choose life. If you're here with us and you haven't been honouring Jesus, if you're still trying to figure Jesus out, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, I hope you see that what lies ahead of you right now 
is not very good. Condemnation. But you have the opportunity to turn to Jesus, to begin honouring Him as the Son, to start trusting in Him. He will forgive you and He will give you eternal life. That's the promise He makes in verse 24. Turn to Jesus and start honouring Him. Now, if you are someone who believes, if you are someone who honours the Son, you can be sure of the life you will be given. That's really good news. And that makes this life lose a little bit of its shine. We know that what is to come is far better than anything compared in this life. So, you should live your life according to what is to come. One way to do this, one way to show that you're living for that future life and not this life here, is to serve with your time, to serve the church, what we might call ministry, yeah? If possible, devote more and more time to serving the church. You know your life forever is secured, you're not living for this life, so give up time in this life to serve. Could you work half a day less each week? You know, sacrifice that money, sacrifice that pay, and spend that time serving. Or could you say no to that job, which, yeah, it pays more, but it takes up way more time. Could you say no to that so that you don't have to pull out a ministry, so that you can stay serving God's people? Now, this requires wisdom. Don't just quit your job and uh, jump headfirst in. No, pray about it, ask God for wisdom. Talk to your CG leaders, talk to the pastors here and make these decisions wisely, but do push yourself. Push yourself to not be living for this life, but be living for the next one. Now, I have one very last thing to say. If you do honour the Son, if you do believe, then Jesus' promise in verse 24 is really, really good news. It is really, really good news. I'll read it again. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, sorry, will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Did you notice the tense of those verses? Getting all very Englishy here. The tense of those verses, it's not you will have life, it's you have life, you have life now. Condemnation is behind you, but you have already started living your eternal life. You will not be judged, that judgment is gone, you've already faced it, and you've passed, you've honoured the sun. Your life for eternity has already started. And it says at the very end, you have crossed from death to life. That's the opposite to what we usually experience. People usually pass from life to death, but not us. We have crossed from death to life. That's very, very good news. We are living that life right now. How about I pray? Father God, thank You that You have sent Your Son. Thank You that You've revealed Yourself to be more wonderful, more complex, more amazing than we could have ever imagined. Father, help us to honour the Son. Help us to turn away from the times when we don't honour Him as our God. Help us to believe and trust in Him for our eternal life. And so, Father, help us with this new confidence of what is to come, to love and serve the people you have called your church. Amen.